0: I think is one of those shows that you don't need to like be a chess nerd to enjoy it. Like frankly, I could care less about what the chess game is. To me, like what I really got invested on is her journey. The thing I like about her and my soft spots for any sort of drama is strong female lead. <laughs>
1: everyone, welcome to Coast to Coast with Janet and Bibi. So for today's topic, we are going to run through some of the shows that we have been binging. And most of these I will say are on Netflix, so hopefully that means they'll be easily accessible to everyone. I think we can start off with maybe the shows that both BB and I have jointly watched. And then there's a few shows that I've watched and that she's watched and we have not yet seen, but we can give our perspectives on. With that, let's start with the most highly reviewed, highly rated show of the bunch. So The Queen's Gambit, which has been everywhere in the news and the press and has 100% on Rotten Tomatoes so I finished that in two days I started it Thursday night or no Wednesday night and then I finished it last night so I spread through it really quickly it's like a typical Netflix limited series in that it's got seven episodes of about an hour each episode so it's like super easy to binge through I mean I'll let BB, maybe you go first because you got me to watch it
0: Yeah. Thank you for watching it. I know it's not your type of show to play, but uh,
1: I think you enjoyed it. Is that that the right assumption? I did. I did. I I enjoyed it. I wouldn't say it's like my favorite show ever, so I would probably never rewatch it, uh, which we can get into (laughs) why. But I did find it really easily watchable. It's just super quick-paced. It's beautiful, like, in terms of the scenery and everything, because it's set in, like, the 1950s to 19... Well, mainly 1960s, so that period vibe and costumes, and it just feels very rich and, like, high production value.
0: Mm -hmm. And I think, like, obviously like you said, it's been highly reviewed. And one of the big things people say about why it's so good. Well, I personally think I will rewatch it, but that's just my point of view. Uh, it's the fact that it's a limited series. And I think sometimes like that's the beauty of any sort of series, the fact that it does come to an end in a short span of episodes. And it really allows you to pick up the storyline quickly and move through them without the noise of a typical series that like maybe drags, drags along a little, further than they need to the fact that it is only seven episodes I think allowed it to be what it is from a sort of beginning to end storyline perspective
1: Mm -hmm. no I agree I mean it's the same reason why I think both of us enjoy k-dramas is they don't try to forcibly (laughs) stretch things perpetually uh no I like that part too because I felt like each episode had a very clear arc like it was Mm -hmm. definitely designed you know purposely in terms of like when something would happen and you know when you know she would have her flashback series where we spend time with her as a child and you know when she grows up and her teenagers and then going on sort of plot by plot and so that made it I think extra easy to follow because it just felt like you were following the arc of her career in like a very well executed way
0: yeah and then the other thing I wanted to add on that just I don't know if you played chess Jenna I actually know nothing about chess me neither Okay, good. <laughs> but you know, so you know, my manager like started the chess club in his high school, so like clearly, like he's a huge chess nerd. I but did. what I really—he's also like—he's also Russian, technically. So like, I mean,
1: <laughs> oh, I, see. I did not know either of that. I'm just learning more about my coworkers every day. <laughs> there you go. I hope he doesn't
0: ever listen to this because <laughs> I'm like sharing all this information about him. He has not given me this pleasure. Okay. <laughs> like, <Andy is>. gaze. <laughs> But I was just saying, like, I, like honestly, I think it's one of those shows that you don't need to like be a chess nerd to enjoy it. Like, frankly, I could care less about what the chess game is. To me, like what I really got invested on is her journey throughout. And the thing I like about her, and I think we talk about this a lot, like my soft spots for any sort of drama is strong female lead, someone mm-hmm. that doesn't embrace the stereotype. <laughs> Who's independent and uh, you know, really can hold her own. And I think that, you know, sort of what makes this really appealing to me. But the other thing, and I think this is where it's controversial or contentious between how you and I think about it. The thing that I love about her character is that she's not perfect. Um mm-hmm. in the sense that like, you know, she this is probably where we go into the spoilers. But yeah. She grows up in an orphanage after her mom basically tries to kill kill them both. Her mom is basically this kind of deranged genius. She was a math Ph.D., unclear if she was ever a professor, but like, you know, she, she basically went crazy at some point, took her, and lived in trailers with her when she was a little kid, and then just ran away. And then eventually she couldn't handle it anymore and tried to kill them both. And she survived a car crash and ended up in this very Isolating Christian orphanage in the middle of nowhere. I want to say it was Kentucky, right? Is that the right yeah, place? For the in orphanage? Yeah, in mm-hmm. Kentucky. And it was a very isolating experience. And in that journey, like you know, this was in you know 60s, so like they fed these poor kids, poor orphans, tranquilizers to make sure that they like behaved. She got addicted to these tranquilizers, and you know, like. Throughout the series, like this theme kind of recurs. Like not only was she addicted to tranquilizers, she later becomes an alcoholic. And it's almost this idea that like she can't help herself from like sabotaging herself, <laughs> even though she's such a pure genius in so many ways. So I thought that was really powerful. You know, I actually went and like started looking like, is this based on a real story? Like is it felt so real and human to me? It wasn't. <laughs> but yeah. I think you know, that element of imperfection is what lends it sort of that. I think I can relate to her more so. Like, not that I'm a genius or anything, but I can really relate to her as a human from a character perspective.
1: I definitely agree with that. Um, I felt like she was a really interesting character to follow. I felt like she, you know, I definitely sympathized with everything that she went through from her mom to basically being stuck in that orphanage. I feel like I just personally don't really like addiction storylines, which was the main reason why I was not actually that big of a fan of this. I feel like generally addiction storylines tend to be very predictable in the sense that they all kind of follow the same arc. And this one did as well, right? So it's like you have the backstory, you know, some tragic backstory. You have the character basically self-destructing and being incredibly frustrating for like the bulk of the show where you just kind of want them to get over it but obviously they're not going to get over it because that's like the whole premise of the show and then it doesn't really redeem until the very very end so I felt like this definitely suffered from that. I've personally never dealt with addiction, so I feel like maybe that's, you know, one of the reasons why I didn't relate as much to this show. So I felt like it was just a really it was like a very specific problem and I understand like generally, you know, the challenges of like living in her situation, but I felt like I just really could not feel much sympathy for her during some points of the story, like especially episode 6. I think episode 6 was the toughest like right before the final episode. And it was like you kind of knew, again, following the predictability arc, like you knew episode six was going to be the worst because obviously they'd already showcased us what happened in Paris at the very start of the first episode. And so you knew she was going to like go raging drunk at some point. And then she did, of course. And then it felt like, you know, I was watching this story that played out many, many times in different forms, like of other addiction dramas. So that was my one flaw with the series. But I will say I really enjoyed episode seven. I felt like it at least mostly made up for the predictability of episode six it had a very strong ending which obviously you and i value in a series i mean i really enjoyed the fact that it was also like it didn't try to be too u.s centric in its view either considering this is like a cold war era drama right a lot of them you know in the past certainly have tried to sort of demonize the russians make The U.S. seemed great and this story refused to do that. You know, it made a story about like just being together and, you know, having a community around you. And I did really love that message. I
0: definitely agree. And I think on that point as well, I think it's really interesting how the timing of this drama, right? Like, I think not the Russia situation, like we're not in a cold war with Russia right now. Uh, We have other challenges, but I think like I'm like ethnically Chinese and like, you know, I do see the rising tension with China, with the U.S., and the drama, like you know, suggests a very collaborative future, both in the context of how Americans can overcome individualism to help advance the best interests for the collective good, and also in terms of, like, how Americans are not going to stand against Russia in the context of a chess player to express certain ideological sort of beliefs. But I, I don't know that that's where we're headed, <laughs> you know, today's political climate, not to go too much into sort of what's going on with, you know, everything going on with actions and um, the current sort of policies and whatnot. But I do think it's an interesting like breath of fresh air, you know, to your point, like not only in the context of Cold War, but also just in the context of where we're living and breathing in a time of great divide within the country and outside of the country as well.
1: Mm, so um, true.
0: And the other point I was going to make was just, I, I totally hear you and I think it's great that like you and I disagree on this about the... <laughs> Addiction plotline. I just want to say, like, I'm not an addict, and like, I don't. I, I probably have an addictive personality in the sense that, like, I'm one of those people, like, that had to like delete Instagram a few times
1: <laughs> in order to I not spend time on that. it. No, I I sympathize. <laughs>
0: To your point, like I mean, like I, have, I can't relate to her in the context, of like you know, substance abuse or anything like that. But I do think this one aspect of it is very human, and it's this idea of this paradox between survival and the proclivity towards self-destruction. Like, and I think it really explores that in that drama. Like, you know, even though she's a really strange kind of person, <laughs> she's very self-assured in where she stands on how she does in terms of. Who she is as a chess player. Um, And she's very mature about it. But that's also where she roots her entire identity on. Like she literally doesn't care about anything else but chess. And to the extent that she was defeated by the Russian in such a sort of humiliating way, like so many times over, I think, you know, like as a person, you really have to grapple with that. And I think humans in general I have this tendency to say like, if I'm not perfect, then I might as well destroy it all. Like I, I think people do like in a sense that like, you know, we can go really extreme, right? Like when, when we have cognitive dissonance, like we like to exaggerate one way or another to make it more psychologically safe for ourselves <laughs> to face reality. And I think that's where like the addiction really plotline kicks in in the sense that like, it, it's, it's very stereotypical, but it also like really showcases the fact that like, it's a struggle between like, understanding that, perfection is not there for you all the time, even if like relative to others, you are perfect. And that struggle with that sort of, I think is really interesting. So like from my perspective, I think it's really great to like actually like show that element of someone who's actually really good in everyone else's eyes. Because I think about like some of the other stuff you and I have watched recently, like the Blackpink documentary, like, you know, all these people who look incredibly successful to the rest of the world who struggle on a daily basis with their own imperfections in every single way. So I thought that was a really interesting element as well.
1: Yeah, you always bring such, like, deep, insightful um, interpretations. I feel like I'm a much more one-note <laughs> viewer, which is why I tend to <laughs> just be extremely critical or, like, extremely, like, oh, I love this so much. No, it's great. Yeah, I mean, I I, I, I agree. I can definitely see that. And I did, again, like, just love the coming together theme, and I love, obviously, the fact that, you know, she's, like, a woman in an industry, quote-unquote, of, like, all men, and, you know, that such like, earns their respect back through her own talent and just through working hard and you know having that obsession with chess in a way and it's funny because uh also the guy who plays harry Beltic, i didn't realize i looked him up yeah. same actor as a uh, dudley dursley like did you notice that yeah it's uh, i did not I, yeah yeah so he lost a lot of weight and so he <laughs> he's in a bunch of Netflix shows now apparently that are like coming out um, but I assume this is probably one of his bigger roles So, um, and he was actually my favorite character I think through the entire thing because I, I felt like he was just so earnest and good hearted and just like a really good guy and I felt like I also didn't like her because I really felt like she didn't treat frankly any of the men. She was just like incredibly rude and selfish towards all of them basically and it was just like everything she did you could tell she's like super self-centered right in terms of like you know not really caring like even that comment when they're on the bed right and he's like do you want me to stay here or leave and she's like oh just do whatever you want right like just such clear disinterest in like anyone else around her like I found that personally very off-putting and you know he showed her so many like attempts of trying to help her and try to be there for her and up until the like very end right like she basically just throws them away and I really just can't stand characters that do that um I just feel like it's it's just hard for me to engage and like understand like, their reasoning because even though I understand her situation like logically that's it I mean again the ending was good and I'm glad she at least talked mm-hmm. to him at the end and we kind of had that closure of that arc
0: yeah I, I I agree I think he was a very likable character in the show and then I also thought the mother was an interesting. Yeah, character. so fascinating.
1: Oh my God. Right?
0: Yeah. like, And I think it's one of those things where like I couldn't really tell where it was going because it felt like it was very transactional between the two of them. You know she cared about the mother but she had so little to show for it. Like you said, she like is not a very likable person. How's that? The fact that she was very good at chess, the fact that, you know, when Mr. Wheatley came back, she claimed a house, she stood up to him and said all those things. She said to him, Like you can't call her pathetic because she was stuck. You never recognized her talent and how talented she was as a piano player. And guess what? I don't think she's pathetic. I think she's stuck because of the times and what she's able and not able to do as a woman but i think you're pathetic because you're a terrible person for not giving her the life that she wanted Mm -hmm. so i think like that was really powerful because what it made me recognize was like she had a very deep bond with this woman even though like it was a very odd combination
1: (laughs) in terms of like
0: how they came together and like started going to these tournaments together Mm -hmm. because it couldn't be more different
1: Yeah, no, I agree. I did like the relationship with the mother. I think it definitely went far to humanize her. Like, that and her relationship with Jolene and Mr. Scheidel to an extent. I was so sad that they never brought him back, you know, while he was alive. Um, And the fact that they never saw each other, uh, I mean, that was just really tragic. And I I feel like actually kind of explained by again her, what I would say, selfish behavior, right? The fact that she never returned the $10 that she promised him, right? So she clearly was very self-absorbed through that entire run of like her career up till the very end. So, but the mother arc, I agree, was, yeah, it was very touching. And I, I feel like the drama, because it was limited, I guess, we never really understood understood a lot of what happened and her mom's death was like definitely a big mystery i mean i assume her liver just failed because she drank so much but it's never explained again um except through hepatitis which is you know obviously a liver disease so clearly that's what happened but i just wish there had been more rounding out of some of these arcs that and like oh like the fact that we never understand her birth mom we never understand who paul is um we never see paul again right you would think he would have maybe looked her up or something if she was his daughter but so just some of those things I, I just wish had been built up.
0: I agree. There are definitely some opportunities to better help us like, understand her childhood and upbringing in terms of who she is as a person. I do wonder if they're making a second season. I think like I heard rumblings of that, but I'm not sure if that's actually happening.
1: Interesting. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about that. I guess it'd be interesting to see, but I feel like they also ended the show like very cleanly. So I don't know how yeah. they'd really pick that up, uh, yeah, unless they bring back her addiction, which honestly is the only way they could bring back a second season, and I'm not really into watching that. <laughs> I feel like we should yeah, close that chapter.
0: <laughs> I think to your point, unless they can really elevate it in some other way, like I think the storyline has played out pretty much. Leverage everything it does. it has to fulfill the purpose
1: <laughs> for the season. I do want to learn how to play chess after watching this. <laughs> Didn't she make chess look sexy? Like, I
0: have to say, like, it was one of those things where you don't expect to be, like, so fascinated by, but now you are.
1: <laughs> exactly. I, I'm like, oh, gosh, it just it looks fun. It looks like it uses a ton of your brain, which, you know, this could be good for all of us. I'm actually playing it by a chessboard, and I'm just going to go and, like, play that on the side.
0: That's a great idea. And then,
1: side note, just
0: one last point on that. I know. We have other things to cover, but like, now I finally understand, I think conceptually, I understand how AlphaGo could defeat humans now, because like the reality is a chessboard is 64 squares, So there's a limited number of iterations you can go through. So like, of course, a computer as complex as it is, a computer can operate under that sort of constraint Framework. Whereas I feel like the real world, artificial intelligence would be able to adapt as quickly, you know, as a human brain would be able to. Anyway, so that's just a side note. Like I didn't understand how AlphaGo defeated humans, and now I understand.
1: (laughs) Yeah, because it's all about scenario analysis, right? That's what, yeah. which I had no idea. It's crazy. And that's what computers are essentially designed to do. To analyze every possible outcome. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, I mean, the story was written by like former chess grandmasters. So apparently that part is super accurate, even if the story itself is completely fictional. Oh, that's now. I no idea. Yeah. Sure. So I think next on my list, which uh, you have seen as well, is Dream Home Makeover. Yay! Yay. Um, so, this show is also on Netflix. It's seven episodes. It's about the McGees, right, who run Studio McGee, which is a design shop, which I was actually not familiar with. I feel like I've heard of them in passing, like probably when they had their Target line. It basically shows them redesigning a bunch of rooms and houses. And I mean, there's not a whole lot to, I guess, interpret like Queen's Gambit here, but um, I did enjoy it. I like the fact that they showed the budgets for each of the rooms, like before they actually did the design. So you could kind of figure out in your head how much something would cost to do it. And then I really liked obviously her aesthetic and like the creativity that like goes into like transforming all these spaces. I would say that it didn't feel super approachable, I guess that was a problem because of the fact that, I mean, even the lowest budget, which was to like, design a room, was like 30K. And I think for most people, that's just not really realistic to spend like 30K to redo like one room of your house. So yeah, I don't know what you thought of it.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point. I actually thought the opposite, like in the sense that like when you think about interior designers, like a Kelly Wurstner or something, like they would charge a lot more than that for a room. But to your point, it's, it's interesting, right? Because it does hit that spot where I think... I think most people won't be able to spend that much. Like I, I don't want to spend thirty thousand to redesign a room myself. Right. <laughs> well, I don't like I mean, I, I also don't own my own place, right? So like there's that. But I, I do think it's interesting in that they hit this like perfect spot between aspirational and approachable in the sense that like you're not watching all this thinking that like this is impossible because you are here to design these fancy hotels, like, you know, the four seasons or whatnot. And there's no way I'll have the personal budget to do that in my home, you know, unless I'm ultra wealthy or whatnot. I think they were really able to bridge that between like, here's 30,000, it's not, it's a lot of money for a room, but we're able to do something for you with a full team of staff, uh, a design concept and like, you know, sort of like real care and love that goes into it. So I thought that was, that was kind of the selling point. Like for me, it was like, yes, your stuff is beautiful and aspirational, but you're telling me you can do it with people's real budgets um, when they think about redoing their rooms. Mm I just think home improvement is really expensive. I don't
1: know. Yeah, I I mean, it made me realize I probably will never hire a designer to do my house because it's, <laughs> it's too much. It's too much for like what I care about. And I think there's obviously a lot of people, especially if you have a ton of money, you know, willing to shell this out. And it looks very nice in the end. But I also felt like, If I really wanted to, like, I could DIY a lot of what she did. I mean, certainly I could go out and pick the furniture, like, every piece of furniture that she picked, probably from, like, West Elm, and do that within the 30k budget, you know what I mean? Like, it does inspire you to, like, think creatively, at least, about the spaces, and, you know, in terms of, like, she divides everything up into a section so you know you have one big room let's split it into like a dining area a sitting area an office whatever so that that was like a good tip so I feel like I learned a lot from it but I mean especially the second episode when she's like doing her neighbor's house and that woman oh yeah I, oh uh, God, I, I, okay, I really did not like that couple. My boyfriend watched and he did not like them either because I understand they're like successful. They like got their real estate business going during the last recession. Good for them. Now they're like ballers, right? So they're going to go out and like build this custom 7,500 square foot house and the wife clearly doesn't work. And the whole thing was just really ridiculous to me, like the whole situation. And then the fact that she was installing like these four foot like pendant lights, which I'm just like, those things fall they will kill you. So like, <laughs> I... <laughs> Like, nothing about that particular design was appealing. I much rather preferred watching the smaller single-room designs, especially the one at mm-hmm. the end where it's, like, the family with the dad who's going to the military and, like, how they read yeah. that kitchen. I will also say there's there's that really big trend right now of, like, white kitchens, which she, like, fits perfectly into because literally every single kitchen she did, except for that one in L.A. where she made it, like, black, which was actually kind of weird. Um, I didn't like that design. Everything else is white. And then, of course, if you look at her kitchen, it's like also white with gold hardware so that was a little um i guess what do you call it it's, it's, it's kind of basic like everything she designed was kind of basic
0: yeah i totally hear you i i think the the two things i'll say to that is i 100 percent agree i don't i don't think she's going to design anything that's like masterclass for anyone right like I mean, if you sign her up you're going with like what the next five years trend will be okay with And then just like count on the fact that like maybe in like five to seven years you're gonna start to want to change it because it might be a little bit too like specific to this time, you know. I think that's probably true, and I think that goes for a lot lot of design. There's very few designs that are truly timeless, which is why I think home improvement is such a big thing for Americans, especially right now during COVID, because everyone's stuck at home and really want to make home a better space to be in. In the context of like spending time as a living, working, and you know entertainment space. But the other thing that I thought was interesting to your point, it's like she does try to like really um, make herself available to all people. Like, you know, they like filmed the warehouse sale and forget if it's like episode one yeah. or two, where she actually like goes in there and they are all moms or like, you know, grabbing lamps or rugs or whatever. <laughs>
1: really now, I agree. I mean, they seem like a lovely family. I have no problems yeah. with like her or her husband. Although I will say also the scenes where it's like, her and her husband sitting on the couch, right? And she is the only one with anything to say. The only purpose he serves is to sit there and like crack a joke. Like he literally sits back and will jump in with some dirty joke, you know? Meanwhile, she's literally taking the whole show, right? Because she's the only one who seems to understand design out to him. I thought that was kind of a funny um, dynamic. Like I don't know why they had to even include the husband, but I guess it creates a nice, complete nuclear family picture, you know, them and the kids, right? Because they had a bunch of scenes with the kids towards the end too. But in all honesty, like it's clearly her show and her company, so that was. <laughs>
0: yeah, no, I agree. I think it's actually a good showcase of how a strong female lead can have oh a my family God. and a thriving <laughs> business. <laughs> I will say, I don't know if you notice this. Like there are parts where, like, you notice. So, like, clearly her husband's like the person who runs the business side of things. Like, I don't know, I don't get the sense that she's like doing all the number crunching behind the scenes.
1: Nah, he like um, admitted he does the excels. Um, yeah. The-
0: so I feel like clearly he's very useful to to her franchise. But that being said, he like lets her have the spotlight. And I don't know if you notice in the LA house where you know she did that weird kitchen. You know, cause she, they, the 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 lady really want I forget her name, is it Victoria, really wanted to take away a lot of the designs she designed. And then she was kind of going a little bit like crazy, right? She was like, well, so tell me why you want to do this and that and blah. And this is when like Sid jumps in, it's like, let's take a joke. You know, like kind of like talking her off the ledge a little bit when she's in these interactions because she's so passionate about what she does from the design perspective. She doesn't really see the bigger picture. This is just like a business. You don't really have to be so invested in how things look as long as everyone's happy.
1: (laughs) Right, right. And I mean, Um, I imagine it's a tough job because I can, (laughs) I mean, could you imagine doing all that and then your client like hates it, right? Man, what a. Yeah, I don't think, I mean, I definitely could not do what she does because I'm also too much of a people pleaser and I do not have strong convictions in terms of like what looks better or not. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's and yeah, I'm, I agree. She has like a lot of clear talent and is very savvy. Yeah.
0: I think it's, it's a really tough job. One of my friends is doing rec- decorations for her place right now. And like she's had so many frustrating conversations with designers. And I think it's because. Like, ultimately, like, I don't know, like, Janet, you and I, like, we're not even like people who care that much about design, I would say, but like, we have opinions. So like, I can imagine when I work with designer, right. I'll be like, why would you want that? Like, I feel like this isn't the way we want this, you know, and their budget involved. And so like, yeah, to your point, tough job and very impressive that they built this business.
1: Yeah, I wonder how much those people featured on Netflix like actually paid for each project. Like I I'm sure some of them paid the actual ticket price they showed us, but then like some of them I'm like I don't know if like are you really spending yeah, okay. The last one again. Like, did they really spend seventy k though to redo that? Yeah, that's a lot of money. That's the entire like down payment of another house in Utah. I would imagine. So I, mm. I just, I wasn't sure if they were gifted that because I mean they didn't look like super rich and ballin like some of the other families did. So I mean maybe Netflix sponsored some of them.
0: Yeah, and then also the one thing like side note like I have so much respect for these contractors
1: now. Yes. Oh my god! I felt like they did all the work actually. Like she thought yeah. of it, you know. But like that Tyler guy had to do everything, and she would just like throw out ideas, and he'd be like, <laughs> he'd actually have to figure out how the hell you like get it in action, right? She'd be like, oh, this, is yeah. I think this carpet's better. Oh, but you know, da 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 da. And, He's like, I'll take care of it, you know? <laughs> it's like, That's what I'm saying. I'm like,
0: oh my God. Like, yes, she's talented, but like, look at these contractors. And like, they do not get nearly the amount of credit they deserve because they do so much
1: oh my for God. this. And ball. it like killed me when they weren't wearing like hearing protection on some of the demolitions. Yeah, they were literally ripping out walls and cutting up stuff yeah. without wearing hearing protection in like a lot of the scenes. It's such a hard job, I agree. Like anything with like construction or just having to completely transform a space. Base. and it's amazing how they like know what elements are like structural too like that barn right they just like knew that beam was structural yes I mean like how do you know that how you just not just like cut it you know and then be like oh shit it's so much technicality that um, I feel like much more so than even her job right because she she just designs it but she doesn't have to execute yeah, it I
0: agree yeah. it's really showcase how, how key they are to the whole process
1: yeah and I mean contractors are always expensive so I I assume most of those costs of course went to them it'd be interesting to like hear what portion she collects like of every redesign like if it's i don't know if you know what a designer costs but i
0: think yeah there's definitely the design fee to your point, the contractor is probably the lion's share of it. I think this is why. At first, I didn't really understand this. Like, you know how, like, all these famous designers have their own line of furniture? And you're mm. like, at first, I was like, why would you, like, go into furniture? That's, like, not lucrative. But then I realized if you have your own furniture, you charge whatever price you want for this furniture, right? right? And then you don't have to pay that markup to the West Helms and, like, creating Barrels and restoration hardwares of the world. So, That's like, that true. is your margin,
1: yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, you just furnish it with all of your stuff, and then that, then you, yeah, because I imagine she uses entirely her, what, her other mm-hmm. business, Mickey, whatever, um, for that designs furniture and stuff, yeah. Um, I yeah. tried to go to Target, actually, to see if they have mm-hmm. their line still there, and I couldn't find anything. I'm I thought it was, thinking. like, sold out. Oh, it's like, sold out? When was it? Yeah, like, when I,
0: um, I don't know, but, like, when I looked, when I, like, when this came out, I think I, like, found it the first day it came out. I watched an episode. I didn't know about them. And I went on Target and locked. And then, like, everything was sold out, basically.
1: (laughs) That's funny. Yeah, I went in. And the only stuff I saw was, like, these other designers. I assume it's, like, Magnolia. And then it's, like, Heart and Stone, which, like, is another couple. Uh, that seems to have their line. A lot of these. Yeah. I mean, good for them. Good for all these people building their Instagram design businesses. mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Very inspirational. and I loved it.
1: I know. Yeah, you should definitely try to do that, maybe, because I know you love it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe I'll start. It's not gonna be. It's, it'll be a side hustle. I definitely won't be a. I won't be selling furniture soon.
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I think we covered that in depth. Um, do you want to talk about your show next? Oh not?
0: sure. i will be short. Sure. So the other show I started watching. Uh, again, I don't think you like the show. Well, maybe you do. Like you like stuff like Train to Busan and stuff, right? I mean.
1: Um, yeah, no, I love Kingdom, which again, I think like, yeah, very dark. Yeah,
0: so this one's this was actually based on real history, it's called Barbarians, and it looked kind of like Vikings, you know, when you look at the trailer and then you realize it's about basically when like Rome Empire was dominating the world and just did whatever the heck they wanted to any other people. These Germanic tribes banded together and fought against them and stood up to Rome and like, actually like took a stance for themselves. So like the story about how that kind of transpires. And like, of course there's like all these personal like relationships they zoom in on that makes you actually relate to the characters and like invest it in their success. I just thought it was really well done. I, I think it's definitely not one of those shows like you can watch like while you're like doing the laundry or something. Like you kind of have to pay attention. For one, like they're speaking either Latin or like some sort of Germanic language. Unclear if it's even German. Like I don't speak German, but I don't think it's like current day German. <laughs> mm. So everything's subtitled. And two, like they really took the barbarians theme to heart. Like basically there's a lot of like myth around animals like the Romans were signified by this eagle like flooring in the sky like in this gold kind of staff kind of symbolism and then like the wolf was kind of more like the Germanic tribes this mythical creature and so there's a lot of that and so like the way they thought was very raw and the emotions were very like real and you can really feel it so like I thought that perspective was well done in the context that like you know it does give somewhat historical account of what happened the difficulties they had to overcome and the sort of differences among people. So I, I, I'm i still working through it. I, I'm like halfway through it, but um, I definitely recommend it for an interesting look at like a real historical situation, I guess. <laughs> So the New York Times just wrote up, like, a big thing on it. This
1: is something that... Oh, 980. The German, yeah German Wikipedia, 980. Yeah. Okay, so, like, yeah, Roman, a historical Roman era.
0: But this actually, like, it carries some political context in the sense that, like, it's the next Netflix show. Mostly, I think, like, German actors. And it's actually one of those battles that, you know, they're showcasing in this. It's one of those battles that, like, the far right in Germany really, really, like, take pride in so it is really interesting in that context yeah i think it's interesting i think again like netflix is very good at gauging the political climate around the world and what kind of things people will be interested in based on that so like i think this is another one of those things that like has more real life kind of implications in terms of how people can think about it in the context of our world today as well
1: Mm. that's no i like that yeah netflix is they're so um, i feel like they're the most risk taking of the streaming platforms in terms of the content that they carry as well as like they just have the most diversity of stuff so i i do appreciate that Mm -hmm yeah okay so then i'm going to talk about two shows that are very different (laughs) so i'll talk about the one i don't like first and then i'll talk about the one i like so the one i don't like is emily in paris which i'm sure everyone's heard of probably tried to watch i don't know if you tried to watch
0: i tried one episode and i couldn't stand it but good for you
1: And I was going to drop after one episode and then I was on my flight back and then I literally had to quickly download stuff onto my Netflix that was like 30 minutes or less. And this came up and I was like, ah, crap. All right. Let's just let's just download these episodes because, like, you know, they're nice in like 29 minutes. So they're super fast because I was trying to download a K-drama, but they're freaking like over an hour each. So I was like, no, I can't. Mm -hmm. Like, there's no bandwidth to do that. Yeah, no, that's um, smart. I ended up watching a bunch of them on the plane and then I came back and then I like watched some while I had like a really bad migraine and it did not help the migraine, I will say. (laughs) And I am am about an episode and a half away from actually finishing it, but I've put it off because I don't actually enjoy this show even though I'm almost at the end, and now I'm just like, ah, oh, frickin' A. I'm like, yeah, I'm a completionist, so I'm like, I should just finish it at some point. The first impression of this drama is basically how it runs through the entirety of the drama, so whatever you saw in episode one is kind of how it is for the rest of it which is very That's terrible yeah it's it's very grating it's a lot of flashiness just in terms of like people's dress and like her entire personality and like the french people she works with that said it's it is very you know it's mindless entertainment which is why it's gained such popularity and then you watch it and you like don't feel depressed right like I don't know if I feel happy either when I'm watching it, but I'm at least, like, in a comfortable place, you know? It's not gonna, like, make you really sad and angry or anything, Uh, and it doesn't require a whole lot of focus, unlike with, you know, say, the Queen's Gambit, which pulls you in, and I feel like if you were in a bad mood, that would not help. This, on the other hand, like, yeah, you just turn it on whenever. I think the few problems I have with it are the fact that, like, Emily is just such a cliche character. Like, there's literally nothing about her that really stands out. Like, she's this well-spoken slick American girl who literally overnight becomes an influencer, which I was also very annoyed by. I just, I feel like we have enough influencers in the real world. We don't need to like go and glamorize them in fictional content now, you know? And uh, <laughs> yeah, because she starts with like 40 subscribers on her like Instagram and then she literally gets like a thousand in a day. And I'm like, that's just not, that's not how Instagram works. now with the algorithm now. Like that's, <laughs> you know, so it's... Um, no, that's not how it works. Yeah. I have like
0: tried that. to make my daughter An influencer and that's failed even though i try very hard so
1: (laughs) yeah so i've tried to plug our bb and janet at instagram account which has zero followers guys please follow (laughs) give us i'm gonna follow right now (laughs) i wish we were emily and we just like posted one picture like one selfie of ourselves and then you know that part i found really really annoying and then okay and then all of the male romances i hated all of them Literally none of them stand out, or and especially the main one, it's like her and the Gabrielle, which you won't know, but basically she ends up meeting his girlfriend because he's like the cute neighbor downstairs that she like runs into on the first episode and you just like know something's going to happen between them, right? It's kind of like yeah. the big and Carrie thing. It's literally, you know, it's like involves them cheating at some point and i haven't gotten to the part where they're like fully together but i know that at some point they will be in like the final episode and and he has a girlfriend and that really bothers me the fact that like these two characters are just so full of themselves and just like don't care about anybody else and then all of the guys that she has like dalliances with throughout the drama because she ends up hooking up with like all these other french people including one underage person which i thought was just bold i guess but like not super very serious yeah that's like it was, not cool it is not, yeah I mean he was like 17 so I guess one could say you know close to the legal age but yeah that was I don't understand how anyone's watching this and like likes Emily like she is not very likable she's very pretty and again she speaks well I mean she's kind of funny but she's not a sympathizable character yeah but anyways that's that's really all i have to say about it i don't think it's like worth the five hours that will take you to binge through if you haven't started it yet i just there's no substance in this um the fashion is also not very good i watched a bunch of like reviews critiquing it on youtube and it's like she just wears a lot of brand names even though she's supposed to be like this 24 year old fresh grad out of college she's got like 10 chanel items you know on the fly and a huge amounts of suspension this week oh and actually like the one thing i do also really want to critique is the Asian, the token Asian friend. You know, her best friend. Oh, I know. Oh God, I could not stand it because like, first of all, everything that comes out of her mouth is like anti-Chinese, even though she's supposed to be portraying like a Chinese character. And look, I'm not for China or anything, but I felt like everything she said was incredibly biased. I mean, she literally made like jokes about how like, oh, we tried to control people's minds and that failed, you know, in one of the episodes. It's like stuff like that. And second of all, she's portrayed by a Korean actress. Like, I know there aren't that many Asian actresses in Hollywood, but I have this real problem with the fact that like, oh, all Asians look the same. We're going to cast like this Asian woman. You know, I've actually seen her live. Um, Ashley Park is the actress. So she's a big Broadway star. So I've seen her in The King and I. She was on that. But basically, she has to portray someone who's from China. And she has, by the way, no accent. So it's kind of unbelievable that this is supposed to be a character who's born and grown in China and basically like just moved to Paris recently. And then. She is also supposed to speak Chinese at certain points in the drama, and I don't know if you saw that in episode one. I forget when she comes, I did. but her Chinese um, was really bad. It was so crazy. It was really bad. Like, it was oh, I hate it when any character tries to speak a language that clearly like the actor has no training in. You know, because it's also like Chinese is hard, but it's like if you practice it, like you know, it's not like she's speaking a ton of Chinese. You can get the tone somewhat right. Like it felt to me like she didn't even bother, right? And I don't know if that's because she just doesn't know anyone who's chinese who could teach her you know but it was like her, the tone was so bad that i don't think even if i like listen to it on repeat i could understand what she's saying i agree Very with you problem. And then her character doesn't get any better, the um, Chinese character oh, no. either. Like, she just, like, becomes some, because you know, she's trying to run away from home. And so she's, like, trying to pursue her dreams and, like, be a singer. And, like, of course, the actress is a Broadway singer. So, like, that's kind of a convenient casting, you know. And then when she sings, it's, like, this perfect operatic song. And I, I didn't hate that character in itself, but I hated the way they portrayed that character. And then I hated Emily. So, yeah, nothing nothing good. Yeah,
0: I I think what you said here actually like sparked something I remembered. I, I did feel like the whole time I watched episode 1 this was something that was created not just even like in a pre covid world it was like a pre like me too pre like <laughs> like
1: pre oh my God, that's really hit on by like all these old creepy guys, by the way. It's
0: right it's so true. Yeah. Like Every, I feel like this is something that like, you know, it's the same creator as Sex in the City, and like I get that this is his shtick, but like it feels like he hasn't really grown up with the times and continues to put out the same stuff, which like now is not yeah. really <laughs> consistent with people's feelings and ideologies and just doesn't really read the room on where the world is today. So like again, like to your point, I agree. I take issue with producers or writers who don't actually 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 like gauge what's going on and put out things that just kind of replicates the same playbook they've had for other things because that doesn't work anymore.
1: I know except the problem is now you have Netflix and it does work because Netflix is willing to buy up all this trashy content and this is literal trash like this is the trashiest of like any show I've watched this year and it just kills me that it's already renewed for a season two over like I'm sure all these other more thoughtful intelligent, or just like representative content that Could be produced for like the same amount of money, right? Because it's not like low budget either. Like having done everything in Paris, the outfits, the cast, like oh, just just kills me. But whatever, it's gotten the streams on Netflix, and I'm guilty of it too. Stream most of this show, so
0: yeah, no, I agree with you. Well, maybe it'll like not get renewed. I mean, to be fair, like we do think like all the reviews are pretty scathing, right? Like nobody's saying this well, is a good show.
1: Actually, as like. some people are. I feel like I read like a Cosmo article or something where people are like, Oh, we love Emily. Emily just speaks our mind and Emily's so great. I think it's already been renewed, actually. I could be wrong, but I think it's been confirmed already for season two. But okay, we just won't watch it. Like I will certainly yeah. not watch uh, it. I um, boycott Emily in Paris. <laughs> Yes, exactly. All right, and then so I'll just finally move on to my last show, which I am currently obsessed with, and it's Startup, which is a K drama and the only K drama we've talked about in this episode. It stars. It's a pretty big cast. It's actually a very famous writer as well, director as well. So I think that's what got it some of the initial hype. So the main cast is Nam Joo Hyuk from one of Evie's favorites, Weightlifting Fairy, (laughs) things like that, and one of our non-favorites, Bride of the Water. (laughs) Well, forgive him for that. And then the main leading woman is Suzy. Obviously, a very famous idol turned actress in Korea. She's been in a bunch of stuff. I have not watched anything with her since While You Were Sleeping, which was a 2017 drama. Which, by the way, was produced by the same writer-director duo that is doing *Startup*, so it's kind of a reunion for all three of these folks. The writer is one of the, is very famous in Korea. Um, she is probably best known for *I Hear Your Voice*, as well as *Pinocchio*, and then *While You Were Sleeping* as well, of course. But um, I personally didn't finish the last drama. I generally do like her works. Oh, she also did *Dream High*, which Susie was in. What she tends to do is like very character-focused slightly supernatural dramas. For instance, I Hear Your Voice featured a male lead who could literally hear people's thoughts. Then while you were sleeping featured leads who could essentially like when they had dreams, they had premonitions about what would happen to like the other person. She's done a lot of, you know, in that vein. Startup is I think the first drama since Dream High that hasn't had that supernatural element. What it does have is, you know, it's about a group of young people who are trying to create a startup. So it's actually actually very tech-focused, which I thought is interesting given the climate we're in and also just, you know, everyone is trying to start a startup, so clearly this is kind of honing in on that sentiment among the younger generation right now. I would also say that I felt like the premiere episode was by far the weakest, and I actually almost decided to not watch this drama after I saw that because it features what is also characteristic to this writer which is a lot of childhood flashbacks, a childhood trauma in these characters lives and it basically spends the entirety of the first episode setting that up. Basically, the girl, she and her sister them in present times, they are somehow estranged and it turns out it's because their parents divorced and her sister chose to live with her mother who remarried to like a very wealthy man and then she chose to live with her father who as you watch episode one dies in a really senseless and ridiculous tragedy like i it it was Really, it was really frustrating to watch, actually. So he basically is trying to create a startup, and this is this would be back in, I guess, when they were young, so like in the early 2000s, and to try to win back the wife who left him. And then on his way to like an investor meeting, he gets hit by a car, which causes him to like he's still able to walk, but he gets like a nosebleed. And then he goes and does the pitch anyway. And meanwhile, he's like bloody on one side of his head. So you're just like, this is really like, I'm sure they would kick you out and put you in the hospital if they saw you show up like that in like a pitch meeting. And on the way back home, after he like successfully wins over the investor, he basically just like, I guess, has a brain hemorrhage due to that car crash on the bus. And then it's assumed that he just like dies on the bus, which I thought was like, really? just like absurd. It's a very strange way to die. It was, it was, like, I was just watching it. And I was just like, did you do this? Like, and it was so predictable. I've seen a lot of K-dramas. I knew the moment he started crossing that street that it wasn't going to end well for him. He was like crossing on a no walk sign, you know, and you just like know a car is going to come up and it sure does. It slams right into him. But then I'm like, you know, I don't think that brain hemorrhage, Like, I, I don't think that's quite how they work. Like, you just get hit by a car and then like 10 hours later, you're dead in a bus. I, I don't know. You have to get past episode one and you have to fast forward heavily through these flash vaccines, The only part that is worth watching is the backstory between our second male lead and the grandma. They have a few moments. Basically, he's like an orphan and she takes care of him and in a very touching sequence of events. Like she basically gives him the ability to like earn money and then he goes off and then you know doesn't see her again until we resume it in the present timeline. So the present timeline is much better, I do think. What I really enjoy about this drama is that it's actually surprisingly funny once you get past episode one. There's a lot of good comedic moments And also it has That underdog feel to all of the Characters that make them very easy To root for which is something that this Writer is really good at doing she's great At building characters that like have sort of Disadvantages and you're kind of rooting For them to succeed so in this case like the Main lead is like this 30 year old Nerdy engineer guy this is Joo Hyuk who is trying to start His own company but has never Met traction and still has no real revenue Model and he basically is introduced to the girl and is told to pretend to be a character that the second male lead had made up when they were younger. It, it's convoluted. I won't. I maybe I won't get into it. But basically, the romance is unexpected. It's a different twist on what you see because normally you would see, you know, the guy who plays our second male lead, like he was the one who originally sent letters to our main lead when she was younger. He was kind of the indirect childhood crush because of that, and he knew who she was. And you know, you would see kind of that childhood romance plays out. But in this situation, that's he is not actually the one that she will presumably end up with who she ends up with is a kid that basically he pretends to be like, because he sees like an article in a local newspaper. And then that's how the lead character ends up getting dragged into this is because he is basically that kid from many years ago and they want him to like impersonate the guy who wrote the letters, but it's very sweet. And it's, It's just so wholesome to watch, which I feel like is really nice and really rare, certainly in like American TV. Like usually you want to see them together. They have really cute chemistry. And Namjoo Hyuk's character is actually, I think he's very cute in a way that geeky, nerdy way. um, Like he portrays it really well. That's
0: really cute. I actually, to your point, I think I'm going to fast forward (laughs) a lot of it at the beginning. But I am interested. I definitely think it's going to be worth my time.
1: I I think it is. I think it's. there's something about it, especially like this director does the really big dramatic scenes very, very well. If you've seen any of his dramas, like he does like the romantic moments, like in a very sweeping and sweet way. And some of those moments in this drama, I think are just like really well done. And it's like, 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 it just makes you go like, oh, so cute. And, um, you know, and it's nice because there's, you know, even one scene where they get excited just for like holding hands. And it's just so cute it's very like endearing and now of course like you're also working with this backdrop of like oh this guy's impersonating someone and so you end up feeling bad for them and you know at this point we're only four episodes in but basically we're trying to figure out like she kind of finally knows who he is so it's like you're you're waiting to see how the relationship is going to develop from here
0: is this one of those shows that they're releasing like an episode or two every week so you're yeah. kind of like real time
1: oh that's yeah awesome. it's real time it's real time <laughs> I actually kind of miss that,
0: you know, like I feel like like on Netflix, because you can get to the end. Like, I mean, I don't know about you, but like I really like a show. I just like blitz through it and then I have nothing else left. So like it's actually kind of nice to have that discipline of like two episodes a week and then like you can watch it for many weeks as you enjoy it.
1: Yeah, no, I like that, too. And the new episodes are coming out this weekend, in fact. So I'm really excited to catch up. Yeah, no, I think you would enjoy it. I I, I think it's it's just super well done, um, except for the childhood portion. Like, everything else, it, it's, like, very, very touching and sweet. Like, literally all of the familial relationships, like, the grandma is still around, and, like, her relationship, especially with the second male lead, is just so sweet. You know, it's it's one of those dramas where you like both the male leads, because I hate the ones where they make the second male lead, like, basically this evil antagonist, and that's not the case. They make him, like, just as likable, and he's, it's even better when him and the main lead are together, because, of course, they're trying to together, like, fabricate this fake namdo. which is the name of the main lead uh and like watching their antics it's hilarious like it'll definitely have you laughing
0: that's great i have to give it a try maybe we'll talk about it together again in one of the upcoming episodes
1: yeah great let me know if you do okay well i think that (laughs) yeah that was it on my list a lot of shows that's concurrent with
0: the release dates so hopefully there's some shows that people would be more interested or less interested in watching after this episode
1: Exactly. Great. Okay. Well, then I think we'll end it here. So everyone, please just hit like and subscribe on our show. Uh, Please follow us on Instagram at BB and Janet. (laughs) Like, I just want to be at zero. Like, zero is just, like, so sad. (laughs) I just followed it. I just followed it. You have one (laughs) follower. I'm going to create some fake accounts and follow it. Oh, my God. Oh, that's
0: great. Love it. I love it. I'll have Hank. I have two accounts. I can have Hank follow it, too.
1: Oh, my gosh. Yes, have Hank follow. And then... (laughs) Exactly. And then everyone will see who Hank is too. You're a very cute dog.
0: Yes, that's true. Hank is open. I'm not. So you have two followers. See, that's pretty good. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> overnight you'll get a thousand because Emily and Paris did. <laughs> <laughs> okay, have a great weekend. Yeah, have a good weekend. Okay, bye. Take care. Bye.